Hello and welcome to Myron Podcast, the podcast dedicated to providing insight and encouragement to the nursing community. I am your host, Devin Abor. Thanks for joining me. And today I had the opportunity to speak with Quinn McGill, who is a nurse with five years experience in the ER. We discussed how COVID has changed policies and procedures and life as an ER nurse. We also discussed the unique challenges of being an ER nurse and stressors that come along with it, which led us to a very interesting discussion on how do you stay balanced and healthy with your life as an ER nurse. And then had a candid conversation of the unique skill set and things to think about before you apply to become an ER nurse. So I think you'll find it very helpful and insightful. Hope you enjoy it. And thanks for joining me. I just want to just start by asking, so how did you get your uh, start in nursing? What's your experience has been in nursing? Sure. Yeah. Um, just from the beginning, you mean in general yeah. as far as, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So um, I was actually 19. I was at like a fifth year life crisis where I had transferred <laughs> school and then like, I don't know what I'm going to do type thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, you know, very strong in faith personally. And so I went to my dentist of all things, actually. This is actually a bizarre story. And I'm sorry for the background noise. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, You're good. So I went to my dentist. She'd been cleaning my teeth my whole life. So I was filling her in on the last drama of the six months of my 19-year-old life. (laughs) And she was like, well, Quinn, what do you like to do? You know, all these different things. And so she goes, Quinn, I really just feel like God's telling me you should be a nurse. I was so desperate that I was like, fantastic. <laughs> so I literally went to an academic advisor the next day. Okay. We set up a three and a half year plan because it was through like a Ooh. CC. So we had to figure out transfer, all that stuff. And then I just didn't turn back, which praise God, because I had no idea like what a nurse actually did. <laughs> so it was both very, very impulsive <laughs> Seemingly very foolish, but I'm so thankful that it worked out. So, so you signed yeah. up for a nursing program without ever checking out what nursing actually was. No, I never really, like, I, you know, my family members were never unhealthy, so I never, like, had to go to a hospital. I went to a doctor's office, so I knew that sure. there were nurses there that did that stuff. But beyond that, I had absolutely no idea. Wow. So, that, yeah, that's, cool. that's my story. Yeah, that's that's kind of a rare situation, I think, for somebody saying, I'm going to be a yeah. nurse. I have no idea what they do, but I'm going to be a nurse. Right here we are. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm so thankful, though. You know what I mean? It's a great career. And I okay. know, like, the basic framework was I like to help people. I like people, oh, you know, type yeah. of a thing. So, yep. yeah. That's yeah. That so happened. you graduated from where then? So I'm from Jackson, Michigan, originally. Spring Arbor, okay. more specifically. So okay. I went through the Jackson Community College program there for my associate degree. And I had originally started at Grand Valley and transferred out. So then the day I graduated, I moved to Grand Rapids. I packed up my little Subaru Forester, moved to Grand Rapids, and then started my bachelor's program at Grand Valley, like the transition program, the associate for the bachelor's program. So you're able to work. The hospital paid for partial of that degree. Um, So, yeah. What hospital was that? That's what um, I'm at Metro Health Hospital. Oh, okay. In Wyoming, Michigan. Yep. Are you? In the ER down there. Yeah. Um, so you probably know a Dr. Hartkrick. Oh my gosh, Todd? Yes. yes. Yeah. No, he's he's great. Absolutely. Yeah, I work with so, him. So so uh, this in two weeks we're gonna be taking okay. a bike trip. I don't know if he's mentioned this at all. He but... bikes. I, I know he bikes. That's <laughs> yeah. so cool. Look so at I'm that. one of the guys that get. 
Yeah. So I, I'm one of the guys that gets to bike along with him. So my business oh, partner, awesome. John, went to went to high school with with Todd. So, okay. Yeah. And he's a great That's guy. That's awesome. So I don't yeah, know him totally. that well. Like, I didn't go to high school with him, but I'm going to spend a week with him. It makes this so much more fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you know those mutual connections. That's yes. so cool. Yes. Um, awesome. So currently, well, walk me through. What have you done so far in your career, nursing career? So I started out in orthopedics at Metro. Okay. So I did that for a year and eight months. Um, I had done my leadership at, in my nursing school degree in ER. That's like the last semester um, mm -hmm. back home. And it wasn't necessarily what I expected. So I kind of like let that go. But then again, I attribute it to personally God and his plan for me. Doors opened mm -hmm. in the ER at Metro. And I was just like, well, I'm happy with where I'm at. But let's see what happens. And everything went wide open. So okay. I've been um, in the ER now for going on five years. Almost. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's, do you like that schedule Crazy. of, uh, do you guys work three twelves or how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So we do three twelves for the most part. We just implemented a four ten schedule for some of our staff. So that's what I'm doing currently. Okay. Um, so we're just kind of testing that out to see if Do you that like that better? Uh, no, I don't personally, but okay. <laughs> we're working out kinks. So, you know, okay. you roll, give it a chance. Yep. yep. But yeah. Um, so five years in the e ER, you probably feel like you've seen not everything, but feel very comfortable in the ER then. With whatever happens. I would say it's, it's interesting because I would say the last six months is when I really feel like you like come in to your role, you know, in a new way. I've okay. definitely like sensed a shift in my thought processes, just my overall confidence in general. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you and it's really interesting. It just kind of happens naturally, which is kind of cool, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely, definitely there. Oh, cool. So. It's interesting you say that because I think it takes at least, I've worked in many different settings in my career too in the healthcare as a therapist, and I think okay. it takes at least a year and a half for you really to start to get a grasp on it. And I think... Yes. It's that hard time, that year and a half, where you, you kind of know what you're doing, but you don't feel like you've mastered it, whether it's all the pieces put, getting put together. It's really, it takes that totally. long to gel, I think, you know? Well, you, you have to be patient with yourself, too, because, you know, it's easy to, like, look around and be like, oh, my gosh, these people look so comfortable, or they feel right. like, you know, they, I, they walk into a room and they can just see things that I'm not even paying attention to. And I was right. actually talking to my um, manager about that idea, and she said, there's just nothing that time can make up for when it comes right. to a career and what yep. you're exposed to. So, yeah, I totally agree with that 100%. I feel like school gives you – you're competent to not uh, hurt anybody, but then it just gets piled on. You know, it just Dude. give you the basics to understand and just keep your head above water, but you're not swimming yet. You're just kind of treading water and oh, staying afloat. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's right. Totally. So um, the focus of today is kind of to get a nurse's perspective. Um, this is great from an ER perspective um, yep. about COVID. And sure. I just want to start by asking um, when it first came onto the scene, yeah. um, walk me through that first week or two when you started treating patients. What were you feeling like? What were you? Yeah. What was going through your mind? It was very interesting. Um, I had to really like 
for on a personal level, I had to kind of square myself up and be like, what do I think and feel about this? What does, what do the experts say? And then you had these tensions with family members, tensions with providers even, where it was like, what are their thoughts and opinions? And it was so brand new that mm-hmm. it was definitely the more heightened, like hair on your neck situation mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, trying to think about um, like infection prevention, mm-hmm. step walking through every single step perfectly. And then you stop and you're like, it can't be perfect. Like, there's just no way, there's no way to make it perfect, but what can we do to protect ourselves and people as best as possible? So what that mm-hmm. looked like was um, our manager at the time, he separated our ER into two sections. So essentially clean versus unclean. So non-viral patients, so patients that don't have the fever, cough, shortness of breath, um, just the basic aspects of what the COVID virus looked like to our knowledge at that point, and then separating those from the viral patients. And then it was PPE, so gowning, masks, goggles, hair, you know, coverings, stuff like that. Um, Figuring out what staff should be back there should we put people back there that have family and kids or me not being in that position being single with no kids like I would much rather do that so that you have more peace of mind I'm not Mm. taking that home to anybody else type of a thing so Mm -hmm. that was definitely interesting um as far as the patients themselves go you saw I mean this is coming from a very somewhat jaded ER nurse perspective (laughs) where it's like you don't need to be here you need to go home you know what I mean? Like okay. we had some patients that were coming in that definitely needed to be there, you know, from an emergent standpoint, if you look at it truly emergent, but you don't get to tell somebody what they think an emergency is and what it's not. So then mm-hmm. you have people coming in with any sniffle and they're like, I want to be tested for COVID. And it's like, no, COVID's still a virus. So even if you have it, keep your butt at home so that you're not spreading it. And mm-hmm. then it's a virus. Like look at it as if you were having a little bit of a cold then if your symptoms do become unmanageable at home in mm-hmm. emergent, come in. And so there was that tension too, where, I mean, even people that were like single moms, they're like, do I quarantine for my kids? Well, I can't send my kids then to my grant to their grandparents' house. Just those crazy dynamics that you're encountering and trying to be empathetic to it. It's like, it was so massive. I mean, it was global. It is global. Mm-hmm. To where it's trying to wrap your head around that, not only on a personal level, not on, not only on a facility-based level with Metro and then the ER specifically as a unit, but then also like trying to wrap your head around what this looks like for the average Joe and Jane. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? That you're yeah. dealing with coming in. Right. So, yeah, it's really surreal to like think about. It's a very... Um very humbling to hear me hear you say um, I'm willing to be on the front lines more so than another co-worker uh, because I'm single I don't have a family member but how are you feeling about catching it or getting it or contracting oh, it? Oh to be honest and like please understand that I do not mean this like flippantly in any way but what is going to bring this is how I function in life I work in an emergency room so I'm going to see if we have a pandemic or if there is something as crazy as like chemical warfare, if you will, whether it's like civil terrorism, that type of a thing, like 
you know that you are going to be the first one to encounter it outside of the actual person that experienced it. So it's like secondary okay. exposure, right? right? So for me, to be honest and quite frank, I just planned on getting it. Like, okay. again, I don't yeah. mean to sound flippant, but it's like, no, I have to plan on getting it. I'm going to do my best to protect myself and my patients. But mm-hmm. if I think in my head that I'm not going to get it, that's just not realistic with what you do. It's just mm-hmm. not. And mm-hmm. so, on it, like 100% disclosure, I honestly just planned on getting it. And then best case scenario, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. it is what it is. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. Well, I think it's a very healthy perspective, you know, and I, I'm, you probably don't have any underlying health symptoms that would make you a high-risk patient then, right? No. Well, I have so. some asthma, but I mean, it's very much like sports-induced type thing. Okay. So right. it's not like the reactive airway disease that okay. can be spontaneous or anything like that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think from a stepping back from your own personal perspective, and not, I'm not mm-hmm. asking about Metro Health in general or specifically. Oh, okay. Um, I appreciate that. How, how do you think the public health system did on informing the public on who should get help, when should you get help, do you think? And, and as a follow-up, what do you think we should do differently if another thing like this comes around? Sure. I honestly, I think we did the best we could. You know what okay. I mean? Like, as far as looking at the examples that we saw from Italy and then traveling to, you know, New York City and then areas of Asia, you know, you're seeing firsthand how fast it can spread. But the, the truth of the matter is, it's like, it's so brand new. It's so brand new. And so when you're seeing it spread as fast as it is, and then the symptoms become as severe as quickly as they do, what else are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. you had a lot of perspectives from like, well, they're just inflicting fear. It's like, well, fear is a healthy thing when placed in the right arena, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, protecting other people. Fine. And then the the battle of personal responsibility. Why can't people just choose what's going to be best for them? Well, then how do you manage that when what they're doing is putting other people at risk? Like, there are so many layers to it um, Mm -hmm. that it was almost like you have to put out the extreme to the public just to express the severity of it and the weightiness Mm -hmm. of it and Mm -hmm. to take it seriously, especially with it being brand new to our world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they did a a good job. I think the problem is, is when people take information and everybody's receiving it in different ways and Mm -hmm. then they're filtering it through different things. So to them, Mm -hmm. me being somewhat short of breath because I have a cold means that I have COVID. I need to go get help. But they come in and their oxygen saturation is at 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. I, and I don't know if that's the avenue you were going down. Yep. As no, exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, but it was definitely, I think they did the best that they could. And then there's also okay. other factors that you can't control as far as government, right. You know, mm-hmm. um, regulation standards, mm-hmm. you're hearing mm-hmm. stuff from the CDC, you know, you're getting all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And there's always that question, especially in our culture today of like, who's right and who's to trust mm-hmm. and then right. to create polarities. And right. that's what we've seen. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as in a nutshell, I think they did the best that they could. Moving forward, I mean, 
hopefully we don't see another brand new thing like this for another hundred years. I don't know. But what's the data going to come from it? Is the data valid? There's all the questions. And I, I've mm-hmm. thought about all the things, as I'm sure everybody has, you know, yeah. in their own realm of expertise. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I think they did what they could. Yeah, I don't think healthcare is going to be the same ever. No. No. Yeah. And I don't know if I like it or hate it or if it's both, but <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Yeah. So Now, boots on the ground perspective. Did you see a commonality of um, presentation of COVID from patients? You're like, somebody walks in the door and you're like, you're taking vitals and all this stuff. You're like, boom, they got it. Or no, they don't have it. Oh, no, there's no way. Um, That's why you had to kind of clump them in viral versus non-viral, right? Same with the flu. Like you have somebody walking in with flu-like symptoms, you test them, not everybody has the flu. They might have some sort of rhinovirus or something else that can show up in the different cultures and tests that we do. Um, you could be suspecting, but it was more so just kind of like, okay, are you a young person that was able to contract it for whatever reason? Or are you a person with COPD and other lung issues that then developed into the coronavirus itself? We had people coming in. I had a few patients coming in. They were like, I haven't left my house in nine weeks. How did I get it? I don't know how to answer that question. You know what I mean? Like, I I can't answer that. And again, that just comes back to it being so brand new. All the information's changing constantly. You have one study coming out, and then the next week there's another study stating that it's debunking the first study. So it's just, what do you do? And I think that's what is so hard as a healthcare worker is feeling helpless for yourself even. So then Mm -hmm. when people are coming to you asking questions, it's like, I and maybe this is sounds terrible, but it's true. I got to this point where I had allowed myself not to have an opinion because I don't have the facts. So I'm going to do what I can. I don't think anybody has the facts unless you're an epidemiologist working specifically with the coronavirus itself. Where are the facts coming from? And so again, that's where it's tough and it can sound really flippant and irresponsible, but it was just, I had to come to this place in my life where it was like, I need to allow myself not to have an opinion, but do my best to protect myself and other people because right now opinions aren't going to change the trajectory of anything. Mm -hmm. That's what I think personally. Um, so yeah. And so, um, was there a pattern of, did, do you see healthy people that had no underlying comorbidities get it yeah. severely and those that did have underlying comorbidities get it severely both on equal numbers? Oh, I don't know if I would say equal necessarily. This has also been so like spread out now that it's hard to differentiate. Okay. I mean, but I've definitely had people that no comorbidities, young people coming in. Some of them just get like the mild symptoms and then I've, we've had some really sick people. Um, they're also finding that young people are having like strokes from this thing. It's like affecting the clotting factors, um, and different things along those lines, you know, physiologically, but, um, definitely, I would say definitely more predominant in the immunocompromised and older population, Okay. but I can't necessarily weigh, you know, what the fraction or percentage would have been. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. Hmm. Cause they were just saying it's overwhelmingly. People that are immunocompromised or do have significant comorbidities are much higher risk. So I didn't know if you were seeing that on the ground oh, yeah. at all. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, and that's, you're going to see that again with any type of viral season. You know what I mean? You're going to see more of the immunocompromised population come in. So yeah, to answer your question ultimately on that end of the spectrum, yeah, definitely more people are going to come in that are in that category. Okay. Okay. For sure. Um, and in your opinion, um, what should the average person do right now with the information that we do have? Um, out in the public, uh, out in living their normal everyday life? Should we be masking? Should we be social distancing, uh, masking in, indoors? Yeah. What are, you, um, what are you telling your patients? Oh, as far as what I'm telling my patients? <laughs> when I'm at the <laughs> hospital, I tell my patients to follow CDC guidelines and okay. to mask when you're in stores and, you know, whatever the other establishments are gotcha. doing, especially if they're symptomatic. So that's the key is like, if they're symptomatic, yes, you need to be wearing a mask. If you're not going to be quarantining yourself for sure, ultimately right. you should be quarantining yourself and yes. staying away. Just like if you were sick any other time. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, unsymptomatic or non-symptomatic, you know, they stay to say, they stay to stay six feet away. My thought process with that is if you are asymptomatic and you are keeping that distance, especially with immunocompromised people, why would you necessarily need a mask? You know what okay. I mean? Mm -hmm. But again, mm -hmm. that's where it goes back to what I said about not having an opinion because there's so much unknown. So at this point, for me, being a healthcare worker, I'm 100% exposed. You know what I mean? My mm -hmm. personal practice lately, now that it's been further down the road, I haven't been symptomatic. And that very that could change. I'm not trying to act like that couldn't. Right, yeah. Um, is I tell people if they do want to see me and spend time together, you know, I tell them I am still being exposed to COVID patients here and there. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say every day to my knowledge. So mm -hmm. if you are comfortable with that, we can spend time together. Some it's outside, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. Some people would cringe when I say that, but mm -hmm. at the same time, this virus isn't going anywhere. And so mm -hmm. at what point do we go back to normal life? Of course, we're going to see spikes. Of course we are. And so it's like, again, mm -hmm. that goes back to that unknown. Mm -hmm. um, we want to know what the right thing to do is. And mm -hmm. we're never going to, we're never going to mm -hmm. know that. We're mm -hmm. just going to do our best. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I stand. I don't know if that. Okay, yeah. That's my question. Your yeah. questions or not. Yeah. So. How was it not having um, family in the ER? How was that as a, from a nursing perspective? How much more challenge did it provide you guys? Um, it was both the best thing in the world and the worst thing in the world. To oh, be honest. really? So one of the nice aspects of it from a more, and this is me just being transparent, from a more selfish perspective, it's nice not having that family dynamic where I can just uh, focus on my patient. Mm -hmm. I can look at them. I can, you know, as a nurse, you're wearing so many hats. So I'm looking mm -hmm. at my patient, caring for my patient. You're also seeing how it's affecting the family. So you're trying to keep them informed, trying to provide support for them. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, like sometimes you get great family, sometimes you get terrible family. And they mm -hmm. can just be very um, hovering, understandably so, especially in an emergent situation. But as a healthcare provider, that just adds an added layer of stress yep. to an already mm -hmm. stressful situation. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it was so nice where it's like, I'm not having to deal with that extra stare, that extra question, <laughs> all of that. I can take care of the patient. And then in my time frame, 
I can then update them over the phone, which is where the challenges come in, right? Okay. You also see the strain on the patient, which is what kills you. So that's the worst part, right? Okay. I had a patient come in, very obvious stroke. It was a legit stroke, and his family couldn't be there. And that was mm -hmm. that's horrifying for him. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that's horrifying for the family. So trying to figure out how do I build that bridge for them mm -hmm. as much as possible without them actually physically being able to be there was almost just as stressful. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard to see how it affected the patient and the family member, but also again, the positives from the nursing practice standpoint of being able mm -hmm. to focus and really hone in on the patient themselves was the positive part of it. So, wow. wow. Yeah. How has it been, um, in your kind of social circles, have you seen a kind of return to normal where you're getting back with friends? Um, but I mean, it severely restricted you initially, right? To how much you actually could talk with people because you were, you might be exposing them or getting totally. together with people. Yeah. What was, in, you, what was your experience? In the beginning, I was only hanging out with coworkers thought process is, is at that point we've all been exposed so i okay. feel comfortable hanging out with them you have to have social interaction it's oh, a human yeah. need whatever that yeah. looks like so with my family it was more so just facetime calls i facetimed i mean every day multiple times a day oh sometimes. really okay and then with friends it was just co-workers for the longest time for me okay. um and then over time again it just you be respectful of other people's feelings and thoughts and boundaries mm -hmm. within the dynamic and mm -hmm. then every, you know, people know what I do. And so it's just kind of like, are you comfortable? And, you know, if, if people were welcoming into their homes, are you comfortable? And so right. I think some people would even hear that coming from an ER owner's perspective and be like, well, you should know better than that. And I, I see that. But for me personally, it's just kind of like, that's where the personal responsibility piece comes in, where it's, mm -hmm. I have divulged to you yep. that I'm still seeing this. I, I can't sit here and blame myself if, somebody it's a virus right. like if you go yep. to the grocery store you can get it yeah so mm -hmm. that's where it's just you know there's definitely lines of wisdom to follow but then there's also just practical human need and yeah mm -hmm. social structuring sure. that has to take place and get back to normal mm -hmm. so yeah it's definitely been a lot more loose on my end as far as mm -hmm. social interaction um, well, I, th I think you handled it responsibly. You you informed people, but you also didn't see them when you had a fever or when you had a cough or anything like that. It was oh, like, yeah. I'm doing all the precautions that I can, but I'm a human. Yep. I have to have interaction yep. with people. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, in your personal opinion, what do you think is going to happen in the fall? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Okay. I think we're going to see a spike. Okay. You're going to see, you're, you're, we're entering into flu season in October. Um, there's going to be a spike. I, there's just, that's just how it's going to go again. The virus isn't leaving the earth. Yeah. Um, hopefully it doesn't overwhelm our health system. Don't know. Are they, what is your health system thinking about and preparing again for an eventuality? Or... I'm not seeing that happen okay. in my, if anything, we've gotten rid of some of the, um, parameters that we had that were more strict early on. Um, 
it's also a regional thing too. You know, we're not mm-hmm. New York city. People aren't piled on top of each other. Um, mm-hmm. so that's going to look a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I haven't seen them doing anything to implement a possible surge in a couple of okay. months or anything along those lines. Well, do you think I, I mean, the first one didn't overwhelm the health system. I, do you anticipate, I don't, do you think it'll overwhelm it in the fall? Is that? I don't know. Your, I don't know I what say. to think. Like, that's the honest answer is like you hear, even with our attending providers, our attending physicians, you hear some of them that are terrified for it. And then you hear some of them that are like, no, like, mm. we're, I don't think we're going to get one. And I think that's what creates that personal tension of <laughs> who do you listen to? Who's right? Who's wrong? These are the experts. But you know, yeah. like, where's their information coming from? Is that even valid? Um, mm. I don't know. Wow. I don't, wow. And honestly, I don't think anybody really knows. That's the scary part is we want to know. Yeah. But you just got to take it in stride. We're, I think we're all tired of, I don't know. I don't yep. know. I don't know. Because I think a known, a known problem or a known mountain or a valley, whatever you want to call it, is is much more easily to handle than an unknown. It's just like, oh my gosh, what, how do you handle an unknown? It's so hard. I agree. But I also think that there's also a level of freedom in that too, because that's when you kind of, we're such a control freak culture right now. Like, (laughs) no, I'm just being honest. We are, I am like, I'm not even going to act like I'm not, I am. But then there's this Mm -hmm. beautiful underlying reverence that you have to have for the fact that you don't get to control life. Nobody knew that this virus was coming. Nobody here anyways. You know what I mean? Like, at least we don't think so. There's all the conspiracy theories out there, whatever. But like, like it just is what it is. And so it's like, how do you make lemon lemonade out of some lemons with the unknown and Mm -hmm. just roll with it and deal with it a day at a time? Like it's hard, but it's a discipline like anything else, I think. I agree that we, we as a society, and I'm included in that, try to control all the stuff. You know, I have, particularly when I look at my kids, it's like, you want to like put a hedge around them, bubble wrap them, totally. send them out the door, you know? Totally. But you can't do that. It's, no. And they're going to be worse for it, you know, if you Props do that. Props to you for being a parent, because I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> <laughs> I well, can't imagine. I, I'm kind of lucky because my, my youngest is a, um, He's a freshman in college, so I'm I'm okay. I'm good. So yeah, they, they're they, out of the they, nest right now. They're <laughs> yeah, they're kind of responsible for themselves. So <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it is what it is, and it it's not what it's not. And so correct. Yes. Yeah. Gotta go with it. Oh, so um, moving forward, um, spike or no spike in the fall? You're like, you know what? It, it's we're gonna we're gonna be able to handle it. Or it might overwhelm us a little bit, but I'm not worried about it. No, I'm not. I think if we do get a if we do get a spike in the fall, the first wave of preparation that we did do was like a test run. So it's like we implementing those things again is going to be a lot easier than when they were brand new. You know, cool. um, both in the hospital and outside of the hospital and your daily life. You know, it's just kind of like okay, like we, we prepared for the worst. It didn't happen. If it does happen, 
you'll prepare the same way. And then even then that's going to morph and evolve. And so you'll have to adjust as, as mm -hmm. it comes, you know, okay. that's ER for you though. The ER world is all about, you have no idea what's coming through that door. You're going to adjust accordingly. So that's just how it goes. No days the same. I bet. Huh? No, <laughs> no, that's again, the both, the both the worst and the best part of working in the ER, but you know, yeah. I always like to add, uh, end on a couple of uh, reflection type questions. Um, sure. So you've been a nurse uh, oh, six and a half years now, correct? Year and a half in orthopedics. You've been a nurse six and a half years, uh, five in yep. ER and year and a half in orthopedics. Um, let's say you meet somebody who is you six years ago. Would you tell okay. them to go into nursing? What would you say? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would tell them that it's a great career. Okay. But I good. would prepare them for the frustrations that it brings. Okay. As far as regulations, charting, all okay. of the different administrative. Okay. Things that come with it that can take away from the nursing practice itself that has even okay. gotten worse since I started. Um, What's great about it? What you started that? with, it's a great career. What makes it a great career? Um, It's flexible. I mean, oh. the flexibility as a, especially as a single female, you can come out of school and really support yourself well and mm -hmm. rather comfortably, you know, materially um, mm -hmm. wise. You can, there's so much movement that you can do up, down, lateral, as far as the realm okay. of nursing you want to do. Mm -hmm. You can go into marketing as a nurse. You can go into IT as a nurse within charting systems. You know, you mm -hmm. can really morph into a different person okay. mm -hmm. um, within the career itself, which cool. is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, now... yeah, I would say yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. I but... never give one worded answers. <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's a really boring podcast. We just give one word answers. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so in a nutshell, yes, but realize it's not all just this great career being able to just take care of patients. You have these Absolutely. other tasks. And I would say the exact same thing somebody wants to go into therapy. I mean, yeah. the best part well, is I watching somebody, so. helping somebody, enabling them to meet their goals or whatever that might be. And then, but you also got to document, you also got to deal with coworkers, you, you administration, you got to deal yep. with productivity, you got to deal with all this politics, stuff. Politics, all uh, the things. Yes. Politics. I wish we could get rid of politics. Just, <laughs> wow. I am right there. That's another you. podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so my, my next reflection question is, um, take that same idea and say, would you recommend being an ER nurse? Yes, okay. but you need to have a threshold for stress. You need to have a threshold for um, coping. You okay. have you. It takes a very specific personality to do ER nursing. Who would that? What? Give me some characteristics of people that are would be good ER nurses. Um, people who are able to keep their cool in 
life-threatening situations. Okay. Um, people who are able to, you need to be able to feel. You, you can't just be numb all the time, and that's a battle that I think every ear nurse will oh. tell you they fight. Um, but you need to be able to, once you do start feeling those emotions, appropriately, literally shut them down immediately so that your judgment can be very um, objective. Okay. Um, you would need to be able to be flexible. Uh, you need to be able to multitask. Mm. Um, you have to deal, you have to be able to communicate clearly, directly, and be able to handle personalities. You know, your mm-hmm. sure. interpersonal, uh, mm-hmm. collaborations, huge in ER. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. and you have to be willing you have to be willing to go above the threshold of stress that you thought you can handle and deal with it in the mm. moment and then go back and cope with it later. Wow. Because you don't get to, it's just funny. You feel, I, I know here's an example. Like I'm in a busy day. I'm feeling the stress, like physically feeling it mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, but then things literally get so out of control. It's almost like you went above your threshold to where now everything leveled back out because you go into survival mode of, what is truly most critical and most important, which is a beautiful thing. But Mm -hmm. then the, the weight that that causes in that process Mm -hmm. that you don't even realize happened Mm -hmm. that comes back later. So you have to, yeah, I haven't figured it all out yet. Maybe one day I will, but you have to really be able to live with that. Wow. Sounds like a, a very special person be able to handle all those things because it sounds like it's just got that stress level is a little higher in the er you can't walk out of the room because you need to handle the situation right there you, you know can't like quit. no you yep. can't you have to be there you have to finish it whereas if you're a other nurse if somebody's blowing up you could walk out of the room because it's not an immediate need right you know, it's that, not within your scope right Right. So it's like if you're if you're not the expert on an emergent thing, the best thing for you to do for yourself and the person is to walk away and find help for people that do. When you right. are that person, you don't get mm-hmm. to quit. I, I might not know everything and I might need somebody else to come into the room, but I still have to learn because Lord knows it's not going to be the last time I see it. So I don't right. get to walk away even if I'm not the person that has the right. best ability to deal with the situation. Wow. Mm. And you have to communicate – effectively to the patient and also your PAs, your nurse practitioners and your MDs. You have to, you're in the middle, right? And the hard part is when, yeah, you have to be in the middle. The hard part in that dynamic is when you're in a truly life or death emergent situation, the family is now secondary and even tertiary to, I need to be communicating with my coworkers, my doctor and my staff, and that can really make people frustrated and upset. And so as the nurse, you have to take that on too. While mm-hmm. knowing that they don't understand that what you're actually doing isn't neglecting them, it's actually putting them first. They just don't mm-hmm. understand or get that. So wow. it's definitely uh you need a lot of grace. Yeah and, and it's, a lot of I like that idea too of you having um you can't not feel because you have to be sympathetic, but you cannot be empathetic because it then it clouds judgment. You know, it's like in my experience, it's like I can't go through what my I have to acknowledge and empathize with the patient's pain that they're going through. Like they're they had a pelvic fracture, you know, multiple contusions on their right thigh, but they got to get out of bed. Right. It's like 
Well, we got to get out of bed. And you know what? It's going to be painful. We're going to work together. We're going to try to do this as a, at a speed and a pace that you can handle. But I know it's going to hurt, but we got to get this done. You know, it's like, right. but you can't take that on 10 times a day. You know, that emotion because you'll burn out. I mean, this might this might sound completely horrifically like inhumane, but in the ER, because of the requirements that we have to fulfill, you almost can't even let yourself feel the sympathy aspect, depending on what day you're on. To be honest, like you, you have to get in like if I'm on day three and it's been a whirlwind, I'm exhausted. And so for me to be able to do my job well and fulfill my duties sometimes and this is what is the hardest part is sometimes I can't even, I have to give myself permission not to be sympathetic. That doesn't mean that I give myself mm. permission to be a jerk or, oh, right. you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? But yeah, there are yeah. some days I, I give myself permission not to be as talkative with my patients, not to be, uh, and and I have to let myself do that for me. And again, I, I even deal with that, like, is that, str- is that selfish? Does that mean I need to change careers? Or does that mean, I don't know, but... Yeah, like that emotional connection with the people that you deal with is completely, completely different from any mm-hmm. other realm of nursing, I'm convinced. Wow. And how do you take care of yourself with all that stress, all that? What do you do to maintain sanity? <laughs> to be honest, healthy? I don't do the best job of it, personally. <laughs> it's hard to do. Your, your energy levels fluctuate. But for me, a lot of it is just spending time with people. Hmm. that are easy like that sounds weird but like I spend time with easy people because then I can engage in that relationship and that communication with people I really care about that I really Mm -hmm. love that know me and that I know intimately um exercise is definitely huge that fluctuates too um just in life whatever Mm -hmm. um and then routines so like when I come home I have my show that I watch a few episodes of and that's my way to oh. wind down I'll okay. read a book some nights if I'm not feeling it okay. um it just looks different day to day some days you walk yeah. out and it's not a big deal but then other days Boom. you know <laughs> just is like what what just happened <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and then you add the level of stress that COVID has on top of that and you're like it just adds another layer like you said totally so- Totally. And not even just medically, socially, all of the different aspects that have come with COVID. I can't wait when COVID's not in our vocabulary for a while. Like, yeah, that'll be so nice. (laughs) What are the um, what are the physicians saying with regards to a vaccine that you've heard lately? What do you or is it still like next spring, next summer? To be honest, I haven't heard anything. I mean, that hasn't really been a conversation going around personally in my ER. Um, but again, and I hate to make it to go this way, but it just is what it is. You don't know what's accurate and what's not anymore. Mm-hmm. So even if you're watching the news report and that that's changing constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that's going to be up to the epidemiologists and then yep. the politicians moving forward, you know, yeah. what's going to happen with that. Mm-hmm. But I haven't personally heard anything gotcha. specific as far as okay. the time frame goes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thank you so much for this gift oh, of time. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. Totally. This has been fun. Well, thanks again, Quinn. Appreciate it so absolutely. much. This is so cool. It was cool. so good to meet you and chat. Yeah, good to meet awesome. you. Well, take care. So awesome. You too, Thank you very much. I appreciate bye-bye. it. Yep, bye-bye. Yeah.